But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> oh, something did. Because it jumped. Yeah. Let's see. Airport. No, actually it didn't. Yeah. What's happening let, here? Let me refresh again. Let me refresh again. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I take it you heard that. There's there's a locomotive in the hangar. <laughs> heard heard what? Right. There is, as a matter of fact. And that. Are you? Oh well, you didn't tell me. Well, you didn't tell me there was a freight train drew drew through here. They, they don't they don't schedule the freight trains. Yeah, at least they don't okay. put them on the schedule. I just know about the Caltrans that are going by. It's almost not an exaggeration. I'll talk about it when we get to the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're not in the podcast yet. No, I don't think. Well, I don't know. Maybe we are, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we gotta wait for the freight train to go by here. It's like uh, I'm seeing uh, box cars right now, and uh, uh, Jack, you, ju- you just sound like you're outside at Oshkosh. That's all. Don't worry. Yeah, about that's it. right. Yeah, yeah. There is. There we go. That's gone. That's the end of it now. <laughs> that, that one had a bad bearing. <laughs> yeah, really. This there is there is literally a train that goes through Will's backyard. Right. I mean, almost literally. All right. There's it's. Uh, Right there, right there. If, if, if and it's apparently only now, pink, yeah, little pink. Say, Go ahead, Will. Apparently now, uh, because of the uh, uh, TSA and uh, Homeland Security, if you jump over my back fence, you've committed a felony. So <laughs> I see. So, but 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 uh, but statute of limitations for all that time that you did it when you were a kid, right? Yeah, right. I yeah. hope. Yeah, I hope. I hope. <laughs> well, of course, it depends on which direction you're jumping too. Well, yeah, I guess whether yeah you're getting into trouble or out of trouble. Hey, so did you see this picture? Talk about weird things in your backyard. No, that's a really terrible segue, but uh, to what I've got to work with here. Um, I, uh, I first saw this picture. I think Will showed me this picture. All right, um, and I really thought it was Photoshop. I thought this is something's bogus here. All right, it's a picture of a uh, what kind of airplane is this? Like a like a one seventy or something like that. It's a one eighty. It's a Cessna one eighty or one eighty five. Yeah, the story says it's a one eighty five. All right, that has appears to have bike racks attached to the underside of the wings on both sides. And there are bicycles, in fact, hanging from you know they're they're mounted to the the wheels are clamped to this bike rack, and it's okay. in flight and it's in flight, all right. Okay. And I thought I said this is Photoshop, this can't be real, but apparently it, it is real. Uh, sure it, you can. It's not sure it, you can. It, so well, so the story we're reading this is from Bicycling Magazine, um, and uh, from a couple months ago, back in February. Oh no, it's a year ago, a couple months in a year, February fifteen of uh, fifteen. New Zealand pilot invents wing mounted bike rack. And uh, he's got, we see three bikes, and one would imagine there's actually space for four, because he's got two on one side and one on the other. And he's got just plain, oh, old, yeah. plain old street bikes mounted underneath the wing here, and he's flying, all right? And uh, according to the story, this is a, an approved thing in, this is New Zealand, is where this is taking place. David, That's, you, that's really kind of cool. It is very cool, and... Uh, and one has to wonder what it does to the aerodynamics of this wing, but apparently not enough to stop the... the it, uh, it, it's, not, it's not the aerodynamics of the wing, per se, because you're really only worried about uh, obstructions on the top of the wing, not the underside of the wing. But it is draggy. <laughs> well, yeah, a whole, whole bunch. It's a whole bunch draggy. <laughs> All those tubes, the individual spokes, unless they've got the wheels clamped, they'll spin, which adds drag. Yeah, uh-huh. 
Uh, well, it appears to be actually but, hanging from the wheels, so I'd imagine that the wheels are effectively clamped. But yeah, I, I, but I'm, I'm betting that this guy almost never goes max fuel distance in this. <laughs> it, it, you know that he's he, he's making a location hop into some place with I'll, camping gear and the cyclists. And yeah, I'll bet he never really goes to a towered airport either. That's probably a, a, a not a hard bet. Perhaps. But uh, uh, I can't right. see any reason why you wouldn't. Oh, no, I do see whiskers on the tail. It's not the, it's not the tower thing. It's just where, you know, feds are. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want to see, what I want to do is, is get the paperwork for this yeah. and carry it down to my local FISDO. Yeah. And, and note <laughs> the, the reaction. Yeah. That, that, that would be, you know, I want video of that. It, yeah. it'll, it'll never happen in the U.S. It's too easy to put sidewinders on those hard points. Well, see, there's, <laughs> that's where I was going to go next. Okay. Yeah. Just, we can get into mass-producing model rockets or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and we can have a lot of fun with that, Rick. Yeah. Yeah. What you should do is, Jeb, find the guy that, that also was the first person to see the request to do a night uh, a, a right. night fireworks air show. All right, right. you know, same, same, same reaction. Yeah, it's like you want to do <laughs> what exactly? So, uh, but, you want to put pyrotechnics on your airplane and fly it around at night? Yeah, okay. Let me see. Let me hold that certificate here for you. That's right. That'll happen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. The guy goes, "You want to put pyrotechnics, pyrotechnics, and fly an air show at night? That'll happen the same time people mount bicycles under their wings." And, uh, <laughs> that'll happen. That, that'll happen about the same time Donald Trump becomes a GOP nominee. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Whoa. Ooh. Whoa. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah. Too soon. Really. Yeah. Made a boop. Yep. So uh, no. moving right along. Well, moving. the other the other thing about this though is you know while I would like to put racks like that on my airplane, I think I would be dragging the bicycle. Well, it looks, <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to so, be a little tell, more effective. It on just a hit wing. me that uh, looking at this the uh, er, earlier that. This is one more little advantage tilting toward a high wing because you'd yep. have a hell of a time doing this with a low wing. Yeah, it would yep. be a, it would be a different kind of thing, you know. But uh, um, yeah, but I do like the power. idea of the unicycle being a challenge. <laughs> you need more power to taxi than normal. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, <laughs> I would think. Just see now, just so you get the just credit where credit is due here. Let's see now. According might, to the story, it makes some sparks. The idea originated, uh, I'm reading from the story here, the idea originated out of necessity for Air Adventure Flights Golden Bay, an air transportation company that specializes in returning mountain bikes from the end of a 78-kilometer Hefe tra trail. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Hefe, Hefe. Yeah, Hefe, Hefe, yeah. yeah, yeah. To their parked cars. Uh, <laughs> Mitt Brereton was struggling to fit mountain bikes into his small 53-year-old Cessna. Uh, Mitt, excuse me. Um, uh, speaking of GOP nominees, and uh, Cessna 185, a six-seater, and that's when he came up with the idea to mount the bikes under the wing. His design can accommodate any bike, but Breton says, yeah, Brereton says carrying a unicycle might be a challenge. So, uh, um, <laughs> and apparently, it's it's approved in New Zealand. It's whatever New Zealand calls an STC or some sort of uh, paperwork approval. Because the last graph here says, if you're wondering if it's legal, the Civil Aviation Authority of New Zealand has approved the design. So there you go. All right, yeah, let's got to get one eighty-five is a utility airplane, and and uh -huh. it's built for the carrying loads in ways that others. And it's not the first time somebody's hung something under the wing of a one eighty-five. Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, uh, Will, what were you saying? I was just saying. I think Yakima's got to get in on this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. 
Schwinn. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, hey, welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you today from the, the world-famous Lucky Star Tiki Bar in Menlo Park, California, where I've been a guest for of uh, Will Hawkins and his wife, Kat, for the past week um, as I soaked up some California lifestyle and, uh, and had a good old time here. And, uh, and, uh, and as a result, Will's agreed to join us here. We'll say hi to him in a minute. But first, say hi to my, uh, all of my good friends here. Uh, uh, joining me here in the, uh, in the Lucky Star Tiki Bar today is uh, Jeb Burnside is one of those folks talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? What's going on? I'm, I'm spiffy. Um, uh, end of a long week and uh, more or less uh, achieved a few things and uh-huh. uh, just looking forward to Memorial Day weekend right now. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I was going to try and crow about the fact that I'm finally in a spot where the weather is as good as where you are, and it may well uh-huh. be. The irony is that the weather is even nicer back at Lookout Point today. I mean, it's like apparently been in the 90s there for the last couple of days. So, you know, I leave Lookout Point just as it gets really nice. But uh, but believe me, if I have to leave Lookout Point for bad weather, this is the bad weather I'll take right here. This is very nice. Um, and uh, so that's pretty cool. Also here in the uh, in the Lucky Star Tiki Bar is uh, Dave Higdon from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing? Doing marvelly. Doing marvelly. Uh, except... Uh We've been having to keep our eyes out the window, uh, uh, even while stationary in the house, a lot more the last few days. Cause I've seen some the, very uh, cool tornado six, pictures from out in your part of the country lately. Yeah, we've had them uh, north of us, west of us, south of us, uh, I think maybe even east of us. Well, that's uh, what I like to hear, all around you but not there. That's what I want to hear. Yeah, and even some of the uh, big cells that have come up from the south-southwest have kind of gotten near the uh, near uh, ICT and then wobbled one way or another. But then again, we've had about seven inches of rain in the last five days, too. So it's a little bit soggy here. Yeah. Now, you warned us when we started to uh, got on the phone call that uh, that you've got some weather forecast that there's a small possibility that you'll get get you know, like lose power or something like that. So uh, are, are you really expecting something serious or just just normal Kansas? Well, at this time of year, when the system settles in like this, we treat them all uh, as uh, serious. Yeah. Uh, they've been waving through here uh, with marked regularity, and uh, yeah, we just had a little a little uh, line, oh, about seventy miles long, uh, pass through about twenty minutes ago, and it'll probably cook up another one behind it. That's what it's been doing since uh, Sunday. Yeah, cool. And then we're also happy to have with us, joining us on the podcast, uh, is my host here at the Lucky Star, uh, is uh, Will Hawkins. Hi, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've been having a lot of fun this week. It's yeah. been great having you here. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. How, many, how many times have the neighbors called 911? <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, they've never called. <laughs> yeah, well, he has to actually it, occasionally it, it, pretend. It, it, when, the, when they call 911, does somebody immediately call the bill bondsman? Yeah, no, actually, the cops just hang out. <laughs> maybe true, maybe true. Apparently, apparently, not only do the cops not come out here very often, but he has to actually pretend that the cops have arrived for crowd control purposes. All right, um, maybe he'll tell us that story. I don't know. Um, 
Will, tell it. So, so people who, uh, for just for people who might be un, unfamiliar, um, Will is a pioneer aviation podcaster. Um, Will, when did you start Student Pilot Pod? That was the first one. That, have I got the name right? Student Pilot Podlog? Is that what you called it? Student Pilot Flight Podlog, yeah. Okay. And the Student I, Pilot's Flight Podlog. And we did. I started that when I first started my training, so that would have been 2006. Yeah, I think that, I think you yeah. predate us in that regard. Um, I think you were, it's certainly the same era. Uh, yeah. when you were doing that. And then you and Dave Allen did, uh, after you got your private, um, you kind of oh. transitioned it over to being more general interest. Uh, yeah, it was just the, the pilot's flight pod log, and we just did a hangar flying show. Yep, and you did that <laughs> yeah. for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that was all good stuff, probably still available on the net, I would imagine. If I believe it's still up there, yeah. Knew where to look. Um, and then let's get this, just get this out of the way right now, okay? Because <laughs> we have to ask you about the movie, all right? Uh, a, a few years back, uh, for, for a few years now, you have been working on what seems to be a very, very exciting aviation uh, movie project. And uh, the, 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 the clips that you've teased us with uh, look awesome, um, but it seems to be taking a while. What's going on? What's the latest on the movie? Uh, well, first off, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's just me, basically, me and Rico doing this, and uh, life gets in the way sometimes, and, and it got in the way a, a lot. But uh, <laughs> we, we still revisit it, and, you know, it's there. Um, it's basically cut. It's, I, I've got essentially an hour-long film that's pretty pretty awesome and, and uh what i'm doing right now and what our stumbling block right at the moment was trying to find somebody to score the film so mm-hmm. um just recently i picked up a client who had a documentary film and she brought it to me and we started working and i said so where's your music and she was kind of like i have these three songs <laughs> i yeah. said I, we need more so we started actually using uh, GarageBand and other apps to score her film and i kind of realized you know, I could just score my film, so I've started doing that. So that's kind of where we're at. So I'm kind of cruising along. I'm getting really excited about the music, and uh, um, hopefully soon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get on it pretty much full-time right. by next week. So. so so rumors of its demise are greatly exaggerated. Exactly, yeah, it's, yeah. It's still here. It's, it's well alive. And, and I promise you, as I've always promised, you will see it at some point. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I, and I don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot, and I don't want you to uh, uh, overpromise or anything like that. But uh, is there an ETA? Um, I, I don't uh, really want to give out an ETA now, but okay. um, but but I, you know, probably not by Oshkosh, but maybe Sun and Fun. Okay. Yeah. That's that, and that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, the bits I've seen, it's beautiful. Um, some of the footage, footage you've shot and the interviews you've captured, and uh, it's it's very very cool. So uh, looking forward to it. Looking forward Thank to you. it. Thank you. Couple of uh, quick follow ups here um, from past episodes. Um, a couple things about um, our episode four hundred that I wanted to. So I, I had occasion recently to actually re-listen to the second half of episode four hundred, which on the whole I'm tremendously proud of. It came out really nice. And if you haven't listened to episode four hundred, um, Alpha and Bravo, um, I, I urge you to because it was a lot of fun and, and in, in many ways different than what we usually do and in many ways the same as what we usually do. Um, so check it out. Um, but two things. First of all, um, I, so I named them, I named the alpha version, the first half, I named it epitome. And the reason I named it epitome is because Dave used the phrase epitome, uh, the word epitome in, in the, in the episode. Only I apparently got confused because when I re-listened to to Bravo to the second half, I discovered that it was in Bravo that he used the phrase epitome, not in Alpha. 
So I guess I guess I, what I was doing is foreshadowing the uh, the uh, something that was going to happen in the in the in the second one. So if anybody was confused as why I called Alpha Epitome, it's because I was confused. And, uh, we left off the disclaimer at the end that said to figure out what the title of this one meant. You got to listen to the next one. Yeah. So so there's that. And then the other one, on a slightly more serious note, an apology is due here. Um, I, I, long-time listeners know this is a family podcast, and, and we do our best to avoid the, uh, the seven or eight curse words that, that aren't spoken in, in, in a polite company. And, 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 get, and we're usually pretty good about not cursing on this podcast. But because we were having a good old time flying around in an airplane, we kind of occasionally got a little enthusiastic, and these things came out, and I thought I caught them all when I edited the podcast. But realistically, Listening to Bravo, I realized that I missed one moderately severe curse word, um, and uh, I apologize to anybody who might have noticed that and been troubled by it. Um, but no, it's really not a d- dramatically bad curse word. Um, quite frankly, I think they use it on—they're allowed to use it on late-night TV now. Um, but uh, but it's in there. I apologize. I'm probably not going to go back and take it out. And uh, and there it is. Uh, oh, sugar. What's the matter, Dave? Well, well, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. There you go. So, all right. That's that. And then, let's see now. Uh, so, what is this next one about here? I, one, one thing that we should interject really quickly here before, while we have a little little uh, moment. Um, I just sent you and, and uh, uh, Dave, Jack. Yeah. Uh, and I will, I guess maybe you might have gotten it also. I don't know. A link to, drum roll please, the 2016 Oshkosh Notum. Ah, yes. Uh, yep, okay. it's that time. So it's that time, guys and gals. Yep. And in fact, it's less than uh, two months yep. away. Uh, and the Notum is out there. Get the Notum, read the Notum, understand the Notum, fly the Notum. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a it's it's a lot of stuff, but the fact of the matter is, it's not that dramatically difficult to follow um, once not. you've sort of internalized it. And uh, um, do not attempt to fly in or out of Air Venture um, without having um, understood these these rules, because they yeah, make don't it... even go to don't even go to Wisconsin that week. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. <laughs> kind of true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just treat Wisconsin as one big Bravo airspace, unless you've got the No Town. Yeah. Yeah. So, Which uh, means if you haven't talked to somebody about coming in, don't come in. Yeah. Spare spare the innocent people that might get screwed up with you. Uh, don't mean to sound harsh, but this think is of so the children, often. And think of the children. <laughs> you know, it, okay. uh, we we have all we have all stood by the runway there, nine two seven in particular, and watched some of the most boneheaded slack control flying uh, with very little regard for what they're supposed to be and it's easy to understand all of us that have flown in there a first time when there's a crowd on the grounds we find it a little difficult to keep focused on that spot on the runway when you realize that there's tens of thousands of sets of eyes watching you about to touch down and it's yep. like holy crap i'm on stage Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh. So, no tam, please check out the no tam. Um, it's kind of fun reading, even if you're not planning to fly in. But uh, collect them, uh, yeah, and they're them. free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I say this only because people have told us that 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 they care. I, I uh, but we'll sign it. Bring it. We'll sign it for you. Just yeah, to, you yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, 
You can um, print it out of your printer. You can download the PDF, print it out of your printer, yep. or this link I just sent that will be in the show notes. Uh, you can uh, order your very own printed copy, a I little know. pamphlet size, you know, kind of and thing. I'm doing that right now. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, David, what's the story with this AOPA flight training poll thing you, you told us about here? Oh, I can't do that right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're, ordering, you're ordering the notum right now. Busy ordering the notum. Flight notem. training poll. Okay. I, I oh, thought you, we were talking about something else. Uh, you mentioned the flight training thing, Jack. Uh, no. I thought we were talking about we are talking the about we will talk proposed about yeah. changes to GA flight training. I yes. thought that's what we no, were No, we were talking about that, and that will come up in a moment. Um, this is, okay. this is no, yet this another. Is, the AOPA is running a poll until August 22nd. Yep. It wants to hear from people that have had instruction recently, which I, I think would be like in the last year since they did the last one. Uh and talk about the quality of your flight instructor, what you like about them, what they do well, uh, what they may not do so well, what they could do better. The polls open until the 22nd, and somebody could get a star on their head or a feather in their cap out of your opinion. So uh, it's one way to help improve the uh, quality of the uh, instruction in the community and to kind of improve the communication between uh, the pilot population and the instructor uh, population. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two things going on here. First of all, there's no link to that poll. Secondly, AOPA has uh, revised their website. Um, they've uh-huh. taken a page out of the Microsoft Surface uh, um, <laughs> uh, tablet design. And uh, it's pretty foobar, so I'm not going to even bother searching for it. Yeah, there should be a link. Let me figure out what that's all about here. Why is there no link? Um, Anyways, if you, Jeb, Jeb, if you scroll down into the raw part of the list, um, I think there's a link. Let's see what that link does. Oh, that's possible. Yeah, if you scroll down into the the raw part of the list, Jeb, that that link is clickable. Okay, uh, I think I've got something just from searching the, the yeah so anyways the, yeah the, so. Uh, a great way to uh, uh to as david said to uh to improve the breed and also to thank your flight instructors um, any flight instructors who's been a particularly you know important part of your uh, your training and your in your flying cool i didn't think i'd leave off the lake yeah no i don't know why it didn't carry over usually it carries over but it, I, I believe it's down there Last I honestly don't even remember putting that on the list right now. So I don't. Yeah. I don't. I can't find it from the website. Uh, I, from the, I got from the, the link down at the down at the bottom of the uh, the list. Oh, the list. Yeah, down on the bottom of the Is list. Is this you? Then speak up for your CFI. That's the link. That's the link. Yep. It just didn't get moved, but Jack rearranged gotcha. the list. Yep. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Let's see now. What's next here? Uh, so, last episode, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the uh, the B B twenty nine, right? B twenty nine, Doc Doc, yeah, um, had uh, done its taxi tests. So it had actually run up its engine, or not run up its engine necessarily, but but run its engines in order to taxi under its own power, and was awaiting um, uh, the airworthiness certificate. Um, what's happened on that, Jeb? You put this on the story. Tell us what happened. Uh, well, so according to Avweb, and on May twenty uh, in a May twenty story, uh, Doc now has drum roll, please, an FAA airworthiness certificate. Yeah, very very cool. Very yeah, cool. that's like uh, gold. Uh, it's worth more than its weight in gold. Yep. Um, uh, incredible story about resurrecting this B twenty nine. 
Um, but uh, Shazam, they got paperwork now. I know, very, very cool. And that's from a couple of days ago. David, you're on the ground yeah. there in Wichita. Has it flown yet? What, what are you hearing? It has not flown yet. Uh, for one thing, I don't think they want to take it out on the hangar the way the weather's been around I, I, here. I would hope not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got uh, some more ground testing that they want to do. But uh, having that paperwork means that once they satisfy their own checklist, right. uh, they're, they're free to roam the country. Uh, well, at least within the uh, applicable test area until they get some time on it. But it's got a certificate. Uh, it's legal to fly. Uh, and uh, sure looked pretty out there pulled out on uh, south next to South Oliver uh, uh, here in Wichita a few days ago. Uh, well, cool. last week, actually. Yeah. For the cool. weather here have, turned Fubar. Have we heard yet whether there's any plans for Fifi to be at Air Venture this summer? I, I don't know if I've heard that. Well, because that's I the dream Fifi's scenario. Fifi's on the list to be there this summer. Okay, and good. I uh, I am not sure that their dock is going to try to make it yet. For one thing, that's a boatload of f fuel. Uh, <laughs> talking about an airplane that, that, that amortized cost is about ten grand an operating hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but so, whenever they're uh, ready, I, that's what I wanted. That's you know, the, to me, the dream scenario is not simply to see these two B twenty nines park next to each other on the west ramp. But to watch them do some sort of flyby together, that would be right. That right. would be yeah. That would be cool, right? It might not be 2016, but um, be there in 2017. I would think. I would think. Yeah. So very, very cool. Very cool. Hey, here's well, another... Nate, if you want to get a really great detailed story on how Doc got to this point, uh, go to Kansas.com. Look for the Wichita Eagles story on Doc getting his airworthiness certificate. I mean, this is a saga on this airplane goes back almost 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and the perseverance of all the people involved, uh, the, the guy Tony that rescued it from the desert, uh, the volunteers, uh, the former head of uh, uh, Boeing Wichita slash Spirit Aerosystems, uh, they've just... They, they've done yeoman service uh, above and beyond, and how they've managed to hang on and keep moving is just one of the highlights of living around here. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, very, very, cool. very cool. So here's a weird story. This might have been our, our, our beginning of the episode Goofy Story, but it wasn't because we had a guy with bicycles on his airplane. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a, a bunch of years ago, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, uh, there was the notorious story about the, uh, the, the Hawaiian Airlines, of some, not necessarily Hawaiian Airlines, but a, a Hawaiian Airline um, uh, aircraft flying from one island to another, and the, both pilots fell asleep. Um, and and it overshot its destination by a little bit, and then they woke up and they got it, you know, turned around and came back and probably got fired. Um, but uh, and so you think, well, you know what? That's a learning experience, and that's just not going to happen again, all right? But no. So we got this story from uh, someplace in Europe. Let's see now, what's this all about here? It's uh, uh, what am I? Help me here, guys. What am I? Talking Looks like about? they were going from Germany to Kuwait. Yeah, uh, right. Which is a bad idea to begin with. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. So, it, now it's, it's a story calls it a, uh, I'm sorry, I got way too many tabs open here. Let's see. Here we go. Um, <laughs> so, it's apparently it was a Delta Airlines aircraft, but on a charter flight. Um, and, uh, and they basically just fell asleep. And they seriously. Because that makes it all, 
okay. I, well, I don't know what that means, but yeah, you're right. It's but it's different. It's I don't know how it's different. You're right. It's not. It isn't different. It's not scheduled. But yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And uh, and so when they fell asleep, and then they missed some ATC calls, and when they missed a handoff, apparently is when ATC decided to get serious about this, and scrambled a couple of uh, of uh, F-16s, uh, uh, but. Not U.S. F-16s because it's over there. It's, uh, it says here someplace in the story what what nation's F-16s got scrambled. It says, it says uh, they yeah, only we're... woke up after the flight attendants banged on the cockpit door to tell them there were Greek F-16s at their wing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So according to the story, the way it played out, it was that they were flying along and they were on on you know some sort of autopilot or flight control thing and uh, automated flight control. And so the airplane was flying exactly the way it should and did all the right things, but they weren't answering radio calls. And so they scrambled the F-16s. The F-16s come up, um, you know, in formation now with this thing. The passengers see the F-16s out the window and call on the flight attendants, who also were clueless about there being anything amiss here. And so then the uh, the the uh, the uh, flight attendants then went and banged on the doors, all right, and uh, and and awoke the uh, pilots who. Uh, um, yeah. You know, you can fly thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, and you miss a couple of radio calls, <laughs> and the whole world just goes berserk. Yeah, I know, really, huh? Maybe they had a couple of friends in the cockpit with them who just wouldn't stop talking while uh, there were radio calls going on. Yeah, I like that's never happened. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> or they could have been on their they could have been on their, uh, electronic flight bags working on their schedule. Yeah, no, Jeb, you're absolutely right. I get another thing I discovered by listening re-listening to 400 Bravo. I remember there was one that was just blatant, and we were clueless at the time. I and listening to it again, I heard it completely. And you were just so cool and calm, and just you know, you were listening to them and to us, and you were you were uh, responding to the radio calls just like you should. And uh, but uh, we tried, it, Jeb, but we failed more than once apparently. Um, so these guys, uh, they got woke up and, uh, and then they got, you know, again, they never left their flight course. It's not like they overshot anything, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't know, you know, it's probably going to be another one of these, uh, you know, don't say overshot to a Greek F-16. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. So anyways, I don't know, probably not much more to say about this other than, you know, there's probably a couple of pilot openings for Delta airlines in Europe. Um, <laughs> you know. Anyways, seven sixty seven dash four hundred ER is the airplane that was involved here, and uh, oh well, oh well. Hey, well, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. So listen. So I mentioned earlier that I'm sitting here uh, in the Lucky Star Tiki Bar, uh, which uh, probably bears some some explanation or demands <laughs> some explanation here, because we don't want people Jeb uh, or Jeb uh, uh, Will uh, uh, arriving here uh, trying to uh, come on in and, and buy a drink, right? Because it's not that kind of tiki bar. Uh, uh, <laughs> and I'm normally, not that kind of tiki bar. Yeah, I know. Really, <laughs> I would normally stay away from this. It's not. It's, I would normally say this isn't really an aviation story, but it, it's a very aviation themed bar. Uh, Will, tell us just a little bit about the Lucky Star Tiki Bar. Sure. Um, so uh, we moved into this home. This is the home that uh, I grew up as a child. Uh, Kat and I moved in here, and, and we decided that uh, uh, we didn't live by the ocean anymore, so we needed a little bit of that because we were, used to live in Santa Cruz. So um, we decided we needed a bar of some sort like we needed something cool and so we decided to come up with and we both like tiki drinks so and rum so a tiki bar was in you know to be the the bar and but we didn't want to just do a tiki bar we thought well it's got to have a theme it's got to have a story behind it so essentially what we built was kind of a an homage to 
the types of bars that servicemen, specifically in this case, the, the pilots that were flying in the South Pacific during World War II, would build with scrap lumber and things they found and blah, 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 blah. So what turns out to be, we get a bar that I think will house, what do you think? We can put about four to five people comfortably on the patron size, a couple of people behind the bar, but it's a full bar. <laughs> like, like it, we built a bar. It, it really know? is. I've been to real professional bars that were not as well equipped as it is here. He can make all wow. kinds of serious drinks for you here. And yeah, like he says, there's a, the, 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 the sort of um, active part of the bar here has four or five stools um, where we I spend a lot of time the past week. And then sort of out for, a little further into the backyard, there's a lot more open seating. And uh, it's just a really wonderful place. And, uh, and, and, and Will is quite the, the home entertainer. So it, yeah. it's, uh, there, there have been, there's been some things going on here since I've been here. So, uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> But it's a send-off tiki party for him tonight. Yeah, yeah, I know. I leave tomorrow morning. I, I, I fear what it's going to be like to try and get up tomorrow morning after tonight. It's Friday night at the Lucky Star Tiki Bar. Right. Hey, but uh, I got, I'm the one who has to drive you to the airport, so. Yeah, so it's like, I got that protecting me, right? Yeah. Will, Will, there's this new thing. It's called a taxi cab. <laughs> no, I promised. I promised. Yeah. But so, yeah, the the decor is very, uh, very both both South, South Pacific um, and Tiki Bar, but also very aviation as well. There are propellers hanging on the walls and airplanes uh, mounted from the from the ceiling. Lots of uh, memorabilia. Um, Will's family has a has a, a, a lot of aviation history in it, and so there's a there's more than a little of uh, of his family history on the walls here, um, which we'll talk about in just a couple seconds. Um, there are. Um, there's a couple of uh, half bomb uh, shells out here someplace, and uh, we have a we have the tail fins of a 500 pound bomb that I've turned into a fire feature. Yep, and uh, <laughs> so it's just. I, a, I was just trying to figure out what what half a bomb shell is. Is uh, <laughs> is it is it like a redhead? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just offended all the redheads out there, of course, but yeah. um, no, never, never mind. Yeah, okay, yeah, you, you just keep going, Jeb, dig yourself in. <laughs> um, and, There's uh, uh, the, the background, uh, it, what, the idea was to kind of make it Disney-esque in that you, when you sit down, you kind of want to be transformed. For, you know, transported to the South Pacific, so there's a 60-inch outdoor TV screen on the back bar. Cool. That we run a loop of a beach from Fiji, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and we always have, uh, air, you know, nineteen forties era music playing, and uh, it, it, you know, it takes you takes you back. Yeah. Hopefully. And and do you want to speak to? I mean, in addition to being at a, a private personal bar for you to entertain your family and friends, um, th- there's there's hopefully a future to this bar. There is. It? Yeah. What, what's uh, we, we built this. We friends are coming over, and it kind of hit us that. Um, uh, San Jose specifically needs a tiki bar like this, so we're actually uh, kind of going forward with um, trying to secure funding and things like that to actually build a full-size commercial Lucky Star tiki bar. And when I say full-size, full immersion, the idea is you walk into a tiki bar, much you know, designed much like ours, a little bit bigger, but then you might walk out of the back of the tiki bar, and now it feels like you're outside at night on the, you know in the South Pacific. There's a beach nearby. You can hear the wind. Um, maybe live live music, swing music playing in the in the end of the lanai, uh, but you're still all indoors, you know. See the clouds, so it's very dis- you know very. Uh, uh, what's the restaurant in Disneyland? Uh, the Blue Bayou, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we're trying to do these days. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be very cool, and uh, uh, look forward to. I mean, I enjoy visiting here, obviously, but uh, the it'll be even better when we get the real the the, the public Lucky Star Tiki Bar. If only because sure. I'll be an insider. It'll be very cool. <laughs> I hope. I don't know. Maybe you never well, of know. Course, of course. Um, 
So as I mentioned, every time, every time I hear the, the phrase "blue by you," I'm reminded of the old ATC joke. What's that? Uh, guys born into Podunk or something, and and uh, air traffic control comes on and says, "Yeah, we got a uh, something behind you. It's going to do a Linda Ronstadt on you." And the guys. <laughs> Dude, what's a Linda Ronstadt? Says, oh, we got this jet. It's going to blue by you. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Badoom. That's right, yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, Will's family has, a, has a, a very interesting and impressive uh, history in aviation. In addition to Will being a pilot himself, um, it, it kind of runs in the family, so to speak. And uh, uh, you guys, I sent you a link. Look, open the link. There's a there's a link here to a blog entry from the 129 blog about the Lockheed L-133 aircraft. All right, and um, this is a, an aircraft that was that that didn't get very far in development, as I understand it, but uh, was a, a, a pro, it was was dreamed of at Lockheed back in the, you know, sort of in the Skunk Works days. Um, and this picture. Which is a picture of uh, of Hal Hibbard, who I believe is like the was some, one of the head guy. Was he? What was he like? CEO. He was a, yeah, he was a peer to uh, he was a peer to um, Kelly to Kelly, Kelly Johnson, Johnson and others. Yeah, um, and my grandfather's boss. Right, and so he's holding. You'll see, guys, that he's. And we'll put this picture in the show notes. But he's holding a model of a of a very futuristic looking aircraft um, in his hand on a stand. All right, and that actual model on that actual stand is sitting here in will's house oh outstanding yeah and and will how is it that you came to possess this model so so uh okay so the story is they were well my grandfather made the model in his model shop he he always had a model shop in whatever house he lived in and and he was quite the model builder um and so they were working on this and i think they were going to do the story goes is they were going to have their first meeting with maybe some military brass to show them show them this and uh um, a little background too. My grandfather and Kelly never got along. They always kind of hated each other, right? Um, and Hal Hibbard was my grandfather's kind of cushion between Kelly and, and my right. grandfather. So, anyways, so they come to this meeting. My grandfather in, his, in a box brings in this you know model, and he pulls open the you know thing here. And I, you know, this is what I made. Kelly wasn't there yet, and Kelly was president at the time, I think. And uh, Kelly came into the board meeting and looked around and saw the model and picked it up, and he said. Who built this, or who had this built? You're fired. <laughs> and my grandfather, who was still pretty junior, was kind of, uh oh. <laughs> and Hal apparently stood up and said, "Actually, Willis, uh, well, they called him Willie. Willie built this, and no one else other than we have seen it." So that he had kind of had to calm down, Kelly. Yeah. But that was one of the many times my grandfather almost got fired. <laughs> <laughs> but your your grandfather was very much a part of that whole a group of people at the Skunk Works, right? Am I correct oh, about that? He was, yeah, he was one of the uh, the first engineers and draftsmen that was in the Skunk Works. Um, we have photos of him in the. I, I believe this to be accurate. We have photos of him in a wind tunnel with a with a P thirty eight, and I believe that might have been one of the first. Skunk Works planes. I can't. I'm not wow. too sure you're right on, you're right on that. But um, things that came out of the 133 were uh, we discovered after his death that um, he actually um, wrote a patent for vectoring thrust because mm-hmm. the engines apparently weren't as powerful as enough, so they needed some vectoring thrust to kind of help it get off the ground. And uh, that patent stayed with Lockheed until the F-22 came out, and they apparently revised the patent. Yeah. And that's the patent that's used on the F-22. That patent was written in 1938. 
<laughs> yeah. Wow. It's a, so, for, for those yeah. who are not currently looking at a picture of this, it's a very, very futuristic, sleek-looking aircraft. Um, it's uh, very, very smooth lines. I mean, very uncharacteristic for the time. You know, when you, you think of the pictures of the uh, early German jet uh, fighters and whatnot, um, this, is a very, this airplane almost makes the modern, you know, you know like F-135s and so forth look clunky. Yeah. This is a very yeah. sleek-looking airplane. Big, uh, big main wings, um, a canard wing at the front. Yeah. Um, canard with a uh, vertical stabilizer at the back um, and uh, um, just a very, very cool-looking design. Uh, but it never got beyond wind ch- tunnel tests. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, uh, But it was intended, it was sort of dreamed of as being America's first fighter jet. Is that correct? Yeah. So so they were working on it. That was the idea. It was supposed to actually enter the war uh, if they could get it done quickly enough. Um, and then uh, the, apparently the, the problem was is their motors, the, the engines themselves were pretty... You know, they're pretty unpowerful. You know, they weren't they weren't as they were kind yeah, of dogs. Yeah. So um, and the CIA apparently came and said, hey, we have this new motor that we've developed. Could you, you know, build an airplane around it? And they did. And they so they scrapped the 133. And it was the P-80 that came out of that project. Ah. So, our, so that team went right over to the P-80 and, and they built that in record time. I mean, I think it was less than a year when they had a went from concept to a flying Mm-hmm. Model, yeah. and now so your grandfather was very involved in a, in a, in a number of projects back um, mm-hmm. throughout his career. Uh, can you name some of the others that he had, oh, yeah. played a role uh, in? His, so his big claim to fame: when you call up Lockheed and you say who was Willis M. Hawkins, they will say, "Oh, he designed the C one thirty. That's right. his big claim to fame, which is a good one because they're still yeah. building it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, if, if that's my yeah. only claim to fame, yeah. I'll right. be happy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, some of the other things he uh, he did the tail on the. Um, on the Constellation, the Connie, uh, he worked on uh, the Stealth, uh, you know, uh, the, the F-117, Half Blue. Um, he worked on the P-80. Uh, wow. did, I mean, you know, the P-38. Look, we have evidence. He didn't, there was kind of this un, un, unwritten law in the Hawkins family that uh, by the time you were 15, you should have built about at least five to seven P-38 models. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, so he clearly that was one of his favorites, and we do have photos of him in a wind tunnel with him and stuff like that. So um, the his other big claim to fame uh, is that at some point in the '60s or '50s, actually, uh, he started the missiles and space uh, company for Lockheed. And the big project that came out of there, where there was two, one was the Agena project, which is uh, the yeah. second stage that actually brings everything up into orbit, um, and then the other big project that came out of there was the Polaris missile, and he was the designer on the Polaris missile as well. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so he did. Yeah, he did a lot. He did yeah. a lot, and, and eventually became president of Lockheed. And um, he was with the company for over sixty-five years. Retired four times. You know those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But 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 his modest nature leads us to not be so aware of him historically, exactly. and and that's why. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I think it's very cool to, to, to get these stories out you know, on the record. It's, it's, it's very cool. And, and this house is filled with pictures. I, I've got pictures here on the wall of the Lucky, Lucky Star Bar. I believe some of these are, are your grandfather, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's my grandfather next to the little tailor craft there. And yeah. There's pictures of my grandmother, who was also into aviation. She was a, a flight attendant for American Airlines, uh-huh. <laughs> flying DC-2s and 3s and things like wow. that. Uh, and they actually met on a, cross, uh, uh, a cross-continental flight. Um, on Valentine's Day, and she was not seeing anyone, so she took the Valentine's Day flight um, and saw him. I mean, she had met him a few times because he used to fly back and forth for Lockheed, uh, but she tucked him in on Valentine's, and apparently at the end of the flight, he asked her out, and they were married two months later. Wow. So, Very yeah. cool. Very and then cool. she had to quit. <laughs> yeah. Willis Hawkins. 
Willis Hawkins. Very cool. Look him up. He's, I don't know. Is, is he on? Does he have a Wikipedia page? Oh, he does. He's got a, yeah. Look up Willis M. Hawkins, I think it'll probably, and you'll, you'll find all sorts of information about him. Very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, moving on here. Um, the, uh, I wrote here, airports that start with a K, please, Alex. Um, Will and I were talking about this. I think it was you and I, Will, we were talking yeah, about yeah, the other yeah. night. Um, we were, we were, we were toying with the idea that, uh, that, or not toying, but we were, we were just sort of talking about the fact that, it, that, uh, radio stations, regular radio stations in the United States, um, on the eastern half of the U.S., they start with the letter W. On the western half, they start with the letter K. And we were talking a little bit about why that is and how it all works. And then we were also that, that led us to talk about the fact that most airports in the U.S. their ICAO identifier or their their identifier actually begins with the letter K, even though it's not often used. Um, and then that led us to the real you know talking about the fact that some airports don't start with the letter K. And we were wondering why that is. Um, and it turns out that it's, from our research, and, and Jeb and Dave, you know a lot more about this probably than I do or than we do even after our research. It, turn, it, it apparently is because the ones that start with K are the ones that have an ICAO-approved identifier. And that if you, if you haven't gotten an ICAO-approved identifier, which apparently means an identifier often that has numbers in it or begins with a number or something like that. Um, you don't start with a K. Um, do you guys know anything about this, David? This feels like the kind of thing you might know something about. Well, I, I think Jeb and I probably both know it's the same thing about it. The, uh, the uh, Federal Aviation Administration has an, uh, an airport system that... The majors and most of the big GA airports belong to and are listed in, and most of those have a, an ICAO identifier. Then you get places like Dead Cow and Beaumont and uh, oh, uh, Stearman Field out in Benton, Kansas. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't believe they have ICAO identifiers because they're not in the NIPIAS. They're not in the airport system, and they're not part of the FAA's formal identification system for the air transportation system. Not doesn't mean they're not useful and that they don't get support from uh, their governments and collect fuel taxes and all that nonsense. But they're not in the uh, they're not listed with the FAA at the same level as Midcontinent and Jabara and Newton, Kansas, and Kansas City International, and DFW, and Love Field, and I think I'm in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think you are also. Um, <clears throat> that's certainly part of it. Now, another part of it is um, those airports beginning with a P, which also can be on U.S. soil generally surround the Pacific Rim. Uh, Anchorage is P-A-N-C. Oh. Uh, on your, on your, yeah, now there's another little thing going on. Well, two other little things going on. One is um, there's the difference between ICAO and IATA. Yeah, right. IATA is the International Association or International Air Transport Association, I guess it is. Right, it's and, the Airlines International Trade Group. Exactly. And um, there often are situations where um, you will see, uh, let's say you're going to Seattle, 
okay? Your your luggage tag will say Sierra Echo Alpha, S-E-A. Um, your, um, the airport you're visiting, if you were dialing it into your Garmin uh, to go land at Seattle or SeaTac, it would also come up S-E-A. It would be K-S-E-A. Um, but that's not always consistent. Uh, some airports are going to have a three-letter um, IATA identifier that goes on your luggage tag or on your ticket, and the actual identifier for that airport in, say, a navigational database is going to be completely different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that, that's one consideration. The other consideration is what it takes to get the K uh, in a U.S. airport. For years, uh, when I was flying out of it, Manas- the Manassas Airport uh, was Whiskey 10. Right. And it was a, it was a local identifier. Of, uh, there was no K in front of that identifier. Um, now, today, it has a K, and it's uh, Kilo Hotel Echo Foxtrot. I don't know where the hell they got the HEF from. Um, but um, there has to be a few things fall into place. One of them, I believe, is an instrument, a published instrument approach. And another thing that has to fall into place is, I believe, uh, an approved weather reporting system, an AWOS or an ASOS or something like that. Um, Those things have to be in existence before, I think, um, it can get the K and and or a new identifier. Um, Others out there, um, and I may not have all the details right, but others out there may know more about this than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, oh wait, here we go. Here it is, Jeb or uh, Will. Yep. Two fifty-eight. It's a uh, it's a two fifty-eight Caltrain. Oh, that wasn't very long at all. <laughs> obviously, freight trains are louder than passenger trains. Um, I'm sorry, Jeb. So yeah, it's pretty complicated, huh? Yeah. It, it, well, I don't know how complicated it is. It, it's a matter of we don't have a full a uh, full set of information. Yeah, I know. Did, are the, the what you characterize as being the local identifiers, the ones that you know don't have K's on them, that sure. typically have numbers in them? Are, is there some standards body that assigns those that at least deconflicts them? Um, Dave, I think there. I think that's done on a state level. I think so too. Uh, down at that point, uh-huh. like uh, Jeb, Jeb's home field. Right. right. What's your designator? Two two Foxtrot Alpha, and yeah. there's no way you're getting a K in front of that. Yeah, right. right. It, it, Foxtrot Alpha is a Florida designator. Right. Uh, we've got airports here in Kansas that uh, have a Kansas designator and a number. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't remember that ever coming up when I visited the FAA. Yeah. There's a, I, you know, so my favorite example of this or, 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 or sort of situation regarding this kind of thing is uh, back home in New England, um, two of the airports, or one that I'm very familiar with and one that I'm slightly familiar with, um, there's a Northampton, New Hampshire, and there's a Northampton, Massachusetts. So as you can picture, very close together. In fact, they're not more than an hour flying time apart. Um, Northampton, Massachusetts code is 7 Bravo 2. Mm-hmm. Northampton, um, I swear, what did I say? Northampton, Massachusetts is 7 Bravo 2. Northampton, New Hampshire 
is seven Bravo three. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a mistake. I just can't even imagine how often that must cause problems. All right. But, uh, yeah, that was really weird that they had, that they had identifiers that close together. Um, and I don't know whether somebody intentionally made them close together or if it was just a weird coincidence, but, uh, anyways, so, all right, well, that's where the kilo comes from, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hey, in a seems reasonable. Go ahead, Will. What'd you say? I said. I said. Seems seems legit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, the federal government. We're here to help, and uh, you know. So the reason I'm out here in California, primarily the reason I'm out here um, was to well to visit the Lucky Star Tiki Bar, but um, I also wanted to attend the Maker Fair, um, the big national Maker Fair, which is if you're it's not aviation related, but if you're into do-it-yourself stuff and craft stuff and 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 so forth, the Maker's Fair is pretty cool, and I recommend it to anybody who's even vaguely interested. It's a whole, it was very cool, and that's a conversation for a different podcast. Um, but coincidentally, while I'm out here visiting, um, Will discovered that the uh, Collings Foundation um, Warbirds tour uh, was visiting Moffett Field while we were here, and mm-hmm. so uh, was it yesterday, Will? I think it was just yeah. yesterday, right? Yesterday That's after, the, yeah. yesterday morning, yesterday afternoon. What about uh, Wednesday? Wednesday, people. Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday. Yeah, so yeah. It'd be two yeah, days ago. Matter. Yeah, time flies. Um, it's. <laughs> The rum had nothing to do with that confusion. <laughs> um, we uh, we want we motored on down to drove on down to uh, Moffert Field, which is about about half 15, 20 minutes from here, mm-hmm. and uh, and and went on the field. Um, and uh, we actually had to go through security and show them ID and go through the guard gates and the whole thing. Um, and out on the ramp there, in front of their tower, uh, were these four Collings Foundation aircraft. We, um, went out on the ramp and, and nosed around and and, uh, um, and got a nice look at these these four aircraft. Uh, uh, did I say this? Uh, uh, it was a B-17, a B-24, a B-25, and a P-51. And it was actually, a, it's the P-51C. It's a C. It's the dual front and back seating um, P-51. Um, and uh, got to you know walk all around the outside of them, got to crawl uh, inside them with a lot of the other public folks. And then Will, uh, you, a friend of yours is involved yeah. with this program. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it turns out my, my uh, buddy Eric, uh, who's a pilot over in Livermore, um, he's flown a few photo missions for me. I've hung out of his airplane a couple of times. Uh, turns out he's now flying these things. He's type-rated, type-rated, yeah, type-rated. I keep saying type-cast. You keep, yeah, you do. He's, yeah, type-rated on the B-24, the B-17. He was working on, uh, he said in two weeks he should be typecasting on the 25. And wow. he's very excited about that. So yeah, so the cool thing was is that uh, in the twenty in the B twenty four he he popped open the little gate that to keep everybody out and let us go up into the cockpit and Ooh. yeah it was it was fun it was really cool it was it was very cool and uh, yeah we really appreciate him giving us that little bit of a behind you know people are always able to go up to this little you know cloth gate um, and look into the cockpit but we actually got to climb up into it and. Uh, and uh, Will's friend Eric was actually down at the gate, fight, literally, almost literally fighting people off. All right? they, everybody saw the gate was down and wanted to come up there as well. And he's going, oh, no, no. You know, he says, oh, flight crew only, flight crew only. You know, so. Whatever you do, don't kick the landing gear switch. Yeah, I know, huh? Right. <laughs> um, so uh, that was pretty cool, getting to check out these airplanes and getting up inside them. And, uh, I, you know, I... I, this, I've been in a B-17 before, um, and uh, it, it's it's pretty amazing how close quarters it is inside, even an airplane yeah. that big. 
Um, and, uh, you know, especially, and, and I managed and, 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 you know, I'm not a big guy, but I'm not a small guy either. And I had a little bit of a squeeze to make it along the little catwalk that goes through the bomb bay, because that's how you, that's how you get from the front half of this airplane to the back. You've got to actually go through the bomb bay. All right. And there's a little like six inch wide catwalk that you walk along and, uh, um, some, some uprights that are pretty close together. And so managed to get myself back into there and, you know, standing back there where the, uh, what do they call them? The, the, the not side gunners, but the, the waist for a half a second. Yeah, yeah, you, Dave. You are dressed in civvies for a warm day. Imagine doing that and being dressed in the big leather sheepskin suit for flying at high altitudes with your parachute on, yep. your headset, uh, the flyer cap with the uh, mic and 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 in earpieces, and uh, your survival equipment all strapped to you. Yeah, it's unbelievably tight. Yeah, no, and, and that, that thought did pass through my mind that uh, I was wearing a T-shirt and, a, you know, a light sweater. And, uh, yeah, it would have been a – what an experience it must have been. What a horrifying and, and, and wonderful and, and life-changing and obviously occasionally, you know, mortal experience it must have been. Wow. I, you know, what, I mean, what, Will, what, were your, what was your reaction to the whole thing? Uh, it, it, they're just cool. I mean, the hardware is just amazing to – walk around in and and my big thing is you know i'm a big guy but you just kind of go yeah these were 19 20 year olds that were flying these things and yeah and uh it's just crazy and you know but really cool thing i will add though that uh to that trip that when we were leaving yes tell us about what happened yeah yeah that, this was kind of cool I, this was a total bonus was uh we were leaving and they have static dis- a couple static display airplanes on either side of the tower building which is where everything was going on uh, there's a Neptune on to the south side, and but on the north side there's a, a P3, and uh, and we're kind of walking out, and I and I go, Jack, is there a ladder leading up to that P3? And he goes, Yeah, it looks like the door's open. So we walked over there, and yeah, we now, just happened to be there the one day that they open it up a year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. We, now we should explain for people who are not familiar that Moffett Airfield um, st- still is a, a, a NASA base um, and has a bunch of other activities. Up until the mid-90s or so, um, it was an active naval airfield um, and naval air station, I guess is what they call it. And it was the home to uh, a great number of these P-3 uh, uh, anti-submarine uh, aircraft. And when I first arrived out in this area to, to live back in the, in, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, these P-3s were constantly orbiting Silicon Valley, um, basically flying the great big pattern, um, coming and going from Moffett. And there were a lot of them. And they, they all got repositioned re, uh, up to, I guess, uh, Whidbey Island in, in Washington State back in the mid-90s. But they still celebrate that history by uh, having this kind of thing they so yeah well so we we saw that the door was open will and uh and and we were walking up to it we're going well, this can't be you know, they can't be letting people in here um but as we approached the bottom of the ladder we saw somebody up inside the aircraft and he waved us on up and what did we what did we see up there uh will what did, what did you uh, see? it was just it was i'd never been in a p3 you know i've always you know the it was just cool we walked up I was surprised at how big it was inside. It's um, especially compared to the you know the the little World War II aircraft that we had just exactly been, you know yeah like the B seventeen but you're like oh wow this is and then you kind of go oh yeah well they made these for airliners too but but very open there was a a guy there that was a flight engineer uh, that flew um, many many missions out of Moffett really nice guy and he started telling us the history of the airplane and all this and that and that showed us all the positions we walked. You could walk all the way up into the cockpit, which was extremely roomy. I was really surprised. It really was. Yeah. 
And I was like, this is quite comfortable in here, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was neat. And he gave us all sorts of information and, uh, and things like that. So that was cool. That was, that cool. was cool. That was cool. And then if that Wouldn't was... That, that, isn't, that, isn't that a Lockheed design, too? Yeah, that's, that's based off an Electra. And uh, one of uh, Grandpa did the tail on that one, too, as it turns out. <laughs> so <laughs> he was kind of a tail man when he was coming up in the company, apparently. Okay, if that's what you want to call it. All right. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say anything. All right, there we go. That may well be the title right there. Um, tail man? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. that was very cool, yes. Um, and as if that wasn't enough, all right, right. Uh, we got into the car to, to leave the base. First of all, let me just say that um, I was actually a little... I was a little dubious about going to Moffat um, that afternoon um, because to me, Moffat, I've always been a huge fan of what's called Hangar 1. Hangar 1 is is one of the few remaining um, airship hangars that was created back in the heyday of, or the only day of, uh, of U.S. military blimps back in the 40s and 50s. And... Uh, and so Hangar 1 has always it still existed. It was used by the, by the Navy during all their time there. Um, and it was still standing for years and years. And it's gotten old and gotten got decrepit ever since the Navy left. And um, a bunch of years back, they discovered that they had to take the skin off of the hangar um, because of some asbestos contamination, apparently major contamination, like it was made out of asbestos or something like that. Um, coated. It was the, it was the fire coating on the, right. on all the insides and all the girders was a, was an asbestos coating. But fortunately there's a big movement in the area to not tear down hangar one because it was such a great piece of history and a great part of the area. And so they managed to actually just go in and, and de-asbestos this thing. And part of the way they did that was to take all of the skin, all of the metal skin off the outside of this. And I knew from pictures that all was standing right now. They haven't reskinned it yet. That all was, that was standing was the frame, and <laughs> and I feared that I would be sad to see it this way. I, I thought it would be it would look decrepit. I thought it would be rusty and look like it was just abandoned and awful. And I was really moved by the fact that it's actually quite beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. It's in it's in great shape. It's apparently been I, they must have repainted it because there's no I think rust, they did. Yeah. there's no rust on it. So it's got some sort of good coating on it. Um, it's got it's got a, a sort of a light gray um, paint or coating on it. Um, it's very clean. It just looks like a sculpture now. All right. I, yeah. It's I, in a tweet I posted a picture on Twitter and 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 referred to it as being majestic. And it kind of is, you know, because it's just this huge framework of of an old blimp hanger. Um, so uh, we were driving out past hanger one and and i was admiring this thing and you were looking off to the other way and you go hey look is that a museum you said and i said and and it it turns out it's the it's the moffitt historical society which has a museum on the base there and you said should we go should we go and check that out what did you think of that museum so we we stopped and we did even more aviation we went into oh yeah it was yeah stopped and and went in and they have a nice little historical museum there a bunch of uh, the docents are all uh have you know filled with great information and, and happy to talk to you and they had some great displays and I was I was I was happily surprised. I was like, wow, I gotta come back to this. This yeah. is fun. Yeah, a lot of display, a lot of exhibits about the history of Moffett Field, both the airship days, um, and the uh, P three days, and uh, and and some stuff about aviation around the Bay Area, I think, and mm-hmm. and some general stuff about about aviation, particularly navy naval aviation, but all kinds of aviation. It's yep. it's it's really an impressive museum, mm-hmm. um, especially since it's kind of off the beaten path. You actually have to go through security at Moffett Field <laughs> to get there, but I believe it's pretty routine if you've got like an ID yeah. and uh, you know and you know. I don't know what the requirements are, but we drove on pretty easily. And uh, so 
was quite a day. And I, I, I thank you, Will, for, for thinking of that because I, I wouldn't necessarily if I've seen the Callings aircraft before, and uh, but uh, getting in, on board them and and then seeing the museum and seeing the P three and all that was a, it was quite an afternoon. We had a good time. It was cool. That was very. And it was fun. capped yesterday. Oh, that's by, right. And yeah. I didn't even tell Eric. I, like I thought about sending Eric like a, a GPS point of the bar. But we were sitting in the bar yesterday, kind of relaxing from the day, and and all of a sudden I start hearing off in the distance, and I went, "Those are radials." And we we jumped out of the bar just to look up and to watch the B twenty four go over at about fifteen hundred, oh, cool. right over the bar. It was right like, ah, the bar. there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to. I, I, my story, and I'm sticking to it, is that he rocked his wings as he went over. I, yeah, I believe he did. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 been quite a great visit out here, and we've done a lot of fun things. So, anyways, hey, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Shoutouts. What do we got here? Anybody got any shoutouts? Shoutouts. I think we kind of covered the one I had down there already. So, yeah, I know that's where it got confused here. Um, and, uh, and you know what? I'm sorry. We we aren't going to do shoutouts yet because here's that one uh, at the very bottom here, Jeb. Do you see FAA proposes changes to GA flight? Uh huh. I right. do. Yeah, let's talk about that before we do shout-outs here. So, uh, um, I, and I'm not really familiar with what this is all about, other than they are, in fact, proposing. As I understand it, there's some changes involved, things like how much you can count SIM training and things like that. But, uh, Jeb, you, you seem to think, and I think Dave, too, that this is a big deal or this is a good deal. One of the things going on here that I think is a big deal is uh, summed up in the bottom half of the, of the first graph in the story. Um, the the proposed the FAA is proposed to change some of its uh, certification requirements and, and perhaps even uh, um, um, the underlying concepts behind some of those uh, uh, training requirements. Um, the agency cited. I'm, I'm just going to read from the AvWeb uh, story. The agency cited comments from the flight training industry that legacy complex airplanes have become outdated and difficult to maintain. Now, a complex airplane, according to the FARs, is one with retractable landing gear and um, a constant speed prop or a controllable pitch prop. Um, and, you know, you look at the, the vast majority of new aircraft, new single-engine aircraft coming out, um, and they're all fixed gear. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the... the the vast majority of tw- piston twin engine aircraft, and you know, there basically aren't any. Um, the the court, uh, quoting Avweb again, it says it also pointed to reports from the General Aviation Manufacturers Association, noting that Cessna has not produced a piston engine retractable gear airplane since 1985, 31 years ago. Yeah. Piper has produced only 28, 28 piston engine airplanes with retractable gear since 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, 16 of those 28 Pipers were Piper Arrows. I, I've, I've got to think that, um, that maybe it doesn't include the M series, the, the, the Malibus and the Matrix, Matrices and, and, and those kinds of things. But having said all of that, the punchline is... Anybody looking to try to get their commercial uh, uh, pilot certificate might have a little bit of trouble tracking down a complex airplane, a retractable gear airplane, in which they can do their training. At least, at least one that's well maintained, relatively new, and uh, isn't expensive to maintain. Um, 
the FAA, recognizing this, is looking to maybe change its rules mm-hmm. and say, hey, you can get a commercial without having to, 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 to fly or get trained in a retractable. And uh, we'll worry about, you know, retract training for pilots who uh, um, are moving up the ladder into ATP or something like that. Cool. I, I think it's kind of I think it's kind of a a, a good thing in that they, they seem to be recognizing uh, the lay of the land. They recognize the market, um, and they recognize that uh, they're making it unnecessarily costly to get some of this training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David, you had some thoughts on this. Well, they finally are recognizing what the original intent of the sport pilot certificate was because one of the proposed changes would let a, a light sport pilot use the training hours they right. put in uh, with a sport pilot only instructor to allow them to count toward a private pilot certificate. Right. This has been a mess since the early days of sport pilot. Yeah. I always yeah. thought that okay. was the case as long as the as long as the uh See if I had a sport. That was always the case. There were some, and I'm going to use this term advisedly. There were some (laughs) nimnols in the flight in the flight instruction community that uh, the CFI community that came out and said, oh, no, you can't let those uh, hours count because, well, they don't train for night and they don't train under the hood and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you know what? Uh, by the time you put 10 hours in a duel on your private pilot, you probably haven't done that either. Right. It also but doesn't that still specifically counts. say you have to have X amount of flight training at night. X amount, so you would have to go do those anyways, right? Right. So uh, uh, yeah. it's good to see them clarify that uh, instrument-only flight instructors would not need a category or a class rating on their CFI certificates to provide instrument training, and that's been a disputed point for a long time. You, <laughs> it, it varies from FISDO to FISDO, from district uh, region to region. Uh, Increase the amount of time they can uh, count in the amount of flight simulator time that they can count toward an instrument rating. So there's uh, and on instrument currency. So there's a lot of improvements here that the alphabet groups have been after for years. Have tried to argue through discussions with the general counsel's office. And always, even when they'd get a good opinion there, they'd come back up against full circle. Uh, somebody in a different region or a different FISDO that said, no, nope, we've never done it that way. You can't do it that way. So this is going to help clarify some things. It's going to make it a little easier to keep your currency, uh, make it a little easier for uh, you to get flight instruction because of the changes. Sounds good to yep. me. Yeah. It, it, it seems to me back to the fixed gear thing. I, I mean... You know, when I was coming up with a fixed gear aircraft, uh, I was still taught gumps. You know, right? And 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 that's really what you learn when you you know transition into a complex airplane like that. Mm-hmm. Is I jumped into the to the aero and I was like, okay, now we're going to learn how to use a landing gear. It's this thing called gumps, and I'm like, well, yeah, we've been doing that all along. So right. to me, that was you know that wasn't the it was just an extra switch to hit and some lights to look at. You know, and and, and it basically still is just another yeah. switch to hit. Yeah. yeah, but you can. Tr- I think you can train that in primary without without retractables. Sure, for sure, sure. You know, yeah. All right. So then the uh, it also recognizes uh, the proposal recognizes that nobody's shipping new airplanes with steam gauges. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's just yeah. it, you might find a light sport here and there or a utility airplane where uh, you still get some round dials. But class is is dominant, and now that the uh, FAA is seeing some uh, seeing some way clear to let non TSO equipment be used in uh, certificated aircraft, I expect that we'll see pretty much everything go class, unless the buyer specifically wants it, you know, retro for some reason. Mm-hmm. Right. right, right, yeah. yeah the, the flip side of that too is um, I was having some conversations. Um, last month at the uh, AEA show and I, I won't mention any names but one of those conversations with was was with a good listener of ours mm-hmm. um, who who is engaged in the business of providing uh, repair and overhaul services uh, for various aircraft instruments and uh, he was you know kind of um, I, I won't say moaning or bemoaning but certainly commented that you know with with the glass panel and the growing numbers of them and the growing the inroads if you will into the market of glass panels his business repairing the individual instruments the electromechanical instruments doesn't have that long a future no it doesn't and it's it hasn't taken a big hit yet disproportionate to the uh, change in the fleet but it 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 is definitely a long term yeah. It, it and it's been trickling. It's been rippling through. I mean, every time a guy puts in a, a flat panel, something or other, in place of the old six pack, uh, that's surplus instruments, and it's instruments that are probably not going to go back into something uh, unless the guy just needs a replacement in, inexpensively. Right. Yeah, uh, and that's repair work that that shop will never see again. That's right. Yeah. So this right now is still just a proposal, right? That's it, correct. And so, what's the process here? Well, it it goes through comments and then FAA goes through the comment period. It goes through a rulemaking and uh, you know, pick a number. I, I would say minimum of two years. Yeah. Okay. Roughly. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, that sounds like progress to me. Sounds like a step in a good direction. And uh, very good. All right then. Now shout outs. And and there's nothing on the list. Does anybody have any shout outs? Will anything anybody you want to say hi to? Or? I just want to shout out to Eric for uh for yeah. getting us on the B twenty four. That was really, really cool. So oh, yeah. shout out to Eric there. Yep. Uh and I don't know to, if he has any Twitter or anything like that, but Yeah, right. I know. But uh, yeah, that was a good day and we appreciate him giving us a little inside view here. Uh okay. Jeb, Dave, anything? Dave, go ahead. I'm just going to shout out to uh, all the folks in EAA Chapter 88 that uh, that uh, worked really hard and put in a lot of hours and did a great job on an open house and pancake breakfast that they had Saturday before last. That's right. That's what, oh, just, that's what you were headed the next day after we uh, recorded last time. And uh, yeah, right. It, they had it. They had a nice turnout. It did not turn out to be the most pleasant of days. Uh, and I think that might have cut into their uh, a, a crowd a little bit, but they didn't lose money, uh, and a lot of people came and saw the uh, great shape that they've gotten in the old uh, Jabara. The former Jabara FBO building in is now the Chapter Clubhouse. They did a great job. Hats off to everybody over there. Mm-hmm. Sounds cool. good. Jeb, you got anything? Yes. One real quick. We, we've talked uh, at least one of the last few episodes about a buddy of mine flying his Bonanza yeah. around 
old. I was going to ask you about this. What's the latest? He, he's he's uh, he's back to the Conus. Yes. Uh, he got as far as California and got on an airliner and said, "I got to get back to work." <laughs> oh, did he really? <laughs> so the, air, the airplanes in in uh, um, Oakland, uh, I believe, Minden, Nevada. Oh, he got um, to Minden. Okay, all right. He got to Minden. Um, flew in, flew Honolulu to Oakland. Yep. Nonstop, obviously. Don't you don't you don't yeah, uh, no, dive right. in the nearest airport and top off. Um, and, um, and then repositioned the airplane to, uh, Minden and, uh, airline home. I talked to him a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, I guess yesterday morning, uh, long, long, lengthy conversation. He's tired. Um, um, but, uh, just an, just an amazing trip for him. So, uh. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to yeah. get you to pitch him on the idea of coming on the podcast. Right? I, I, I will. We've talked about it, he and I, um, um, and we will do that probably next month. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Cool. And uh, my shout out is to uh, Will and Cat Hawkins, my hosts here at the Lucky Star Tiki Bar and in their home uh, here in Menlo Park. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for letting me come and hang out here, and uh, uh, it's just a blast and. Uh, it was a great base of operations for my visit to California here. And uh, and please be gentle to me tonight because I have to get on an airliner tomorrow morning. <laughs> Jack, <laughs> Jack, here, here's the solution to this. Yeah. Stay up all night. Yeah, That's I know. Right. Huh? <laughs> Could be. That may be what happens. We'll have to see how that goes. Anyways. Hey, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, Will Hawkins is a uh, pilot, a film director, a film editor, and a bartender. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, the, uh, the director of a pilot story soon to be a, a, a major motion picture. I don't know if it's a major motion picture, but it's going to be a great motion picture and we're looking forward to it. Uh, Will, anything else you're working on that you want to give a little plug to or, or call people's attention to? Um, the big thing is, is, you know, we're kind of going into this whole bar thing. Um, you know, keep a, keep an eye out for a pilot story. Uh, the lucky, lucky star Tiki bar. You can follow me now. Always on at pilot will doctor and, on Twitter at Pilot Will, but you can also follow the bar and me, which is basically me at L Star Tiki Bar on Twitter. And I would like to thank you for staying at the Lucky Star Tiki Bar and breakfast. Oh, so. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> but now, you know, you keep adding the breakfast part. I don't know if I get that part. Although we have had some great. It's like breakfasts. a bed and breakfast. It's a bed right? and breakfast. I get it. Okay, it's a bar it's and breakfast. Lucky Star I get tiki it. Bar, a bar and breakfast. A yeah. bar and breakfast. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, thanks again, and uh, um, and see, like you so you said where you are on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I think we got everything. That's good. Yeah. Thank you very much, Will. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Av Buyer magazine. What are you working on, David? Well, I have a piece coming out in Av Buyer here in a couple of days. When we click over into uh, into June, it looks at. Uh, what you face if you want to fly in Europe or fly to Europe. And uh, it was guys like Jeb's buddy, uh, Adrian, out there. We thought it'd be a good topic for folks. That, although this is mainly for folks that are flying business turbine stuff, uh, the same rules apply to somebody that might want to take their uh, their Mooney or Bonanza across the North Atlantic route and visit Europe. So that's my latest. Cool, cool. And where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net, uh, uh, real Higdon on Twitter and, uh, oh, and aviation safety magazine.com. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Very, very good. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot about that one almost. And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief, editor in chief of aviation safety magazine. What are you doing, Jeb? What's going on? 
um, getting ready to crank out the July issue of said magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a piece in there from Mr. Higdon. Uh, got some other uh, nice stuff going on. So uh, we're, we're having some fun. Um, can't really tell you what's going to be in there because I'm not sure yet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's an up-to-the-minute publication, yeah. you know, the latest, greatest well, information at the... Well, that's, the... that's part of it. The yeah. other part of it is, you know, I might get a wild hair to recast something at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Kind of change the whole focus of the piece, but uh, uh, because I'm the editor, I can do that. You can do that, that's right. <laughs> I can do that, yeah. That's right. They let me do that. Yeah. So, um, so I'm working on that. AviationSafetyMagazine.com is the URL. Yep. Uh, the Twitter machine is Burnside J. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also check me out on uh, check out some of my scribblings anyway on uh, AEA.net and uh, GeneralAviationNews.com. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Um, I, uh, I'm going into an incredibly busy period right now with the day job. I've got like basically I'm, I'm one week on, one week off now for the next two months. So it's going to be a little bit of a crazy time. But I'm hoping to write up a few notes about this Maker Fair thing. Again, it's not aviation really. Um, but uh, it, uh, although the Volocopter people were there, uh, the, the Volocopter itself was not there. But the Volocopter people were there and kind of had a little exhibit. So there's, there's a little bit of an aviation connection. I'm going to try and write up some of my notes about, the, uh, about the, my visit to Maker Faire, along with my pictures and some videos and stuff, and put it out in some forum, either on a website or maybe an ebook or something like that. So if anybody's interested in seeing that, you could go to uh, my website, jackhodgson.com, and there you'll find a, a, a link that will let you sign up for my email list. So you could uh, get a notification when that, when that ebook or that information is available. Um, follow me at uh, twitter.com slash jackhodgson, uh, and you can learn more about me than you ever really ever wanted to know at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks, as always, to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Roy Searle, Jim Goldman, and to the many listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Get all the details about all this at patreon.com slash uncontrolledairspace. And while you're at it, go to uh, iTunes and give us a review and click some stars for us. It really helps get the word out about what we're doing. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class, the letter G, airspace. Um, you never know what might turn up there. Uh, you can listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporty's Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporty's content. Get the UCAP hats, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP swag shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. Uh, and don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can uh, check out 10 years' worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. Uh, and last but not least, chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to tell us something? Live old and prosper. Long time by going flying, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. Oakley Maluna. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. 
Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.